Well, we'll give that a minute. I'll go to the history of what I'm going to talk about. Uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we find where David uh, sinned, and sinned uh, quite uh, grievously. Uh, because we know that the king, or it was the time of the year where kings went to battle, and David had stayed home, and Joab was out in the fields, and he was doing the battle. And David was walking on his roof, and he saw a woman, Bathsheba. And she was bathing herself, and she was beautiful to look at. And so you know the rest of the story. He called for her, sent for her, and she came, and he laid with her. She became pregnant. He called for Uriah the Hittite to come back, which was Bathsheba's husband, and he had him put to death in a battle. That's kind of sad when you think about David. But you can't really see my screen right at the moment. But on that screen it has, Would you rather be a rich man's trophy or a poor man's treasure? And I think that that's an interesting question that the ladies here should ask. Today's Mother's Day. Today's Mother's Day and it's a day that we celebrate mothers. But the Bible teaches us that before you become a mother, you should become a wife. That's the first step. That's God's plan. And when that uh, husband and wife get together, then children can come into the, to the family. And they can make a joyful uh, uh, family together. But in chapter 12, we find something that is very interesting that takes place. God was upset with David. In fact, one of the saddest uh, verses is that what, uh, when it tells us, uh, verse 27 of chapter 11, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And so God sent His servant Nathan to David. And David goes to him, or, uh, Nathan goes to him with a parable, a story. A story that hopefully gets the point across. And I've seen an article this past week, which is where this sermon comes from, uh, because it made me look at it in a different way. But turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Second Samuel chapter 12, it says, beginning in verse 1, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat with his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flocks and of his own herds, to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him. But took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that had come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said unto Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said unto David, Thou art the man. As I mentioned, which would you rather be? A rich man's trophy 
or a poor man's treasure. I would imagine that there will be some that would say, well, I'd like to be a rich man's treasure. But sometimes that's just not possible. And what we're dealing with here is an individual, David, who was rich. He was wealthy. And we had Uriah the Hittite, who was the poor man represented in this story. When we look at what, we, what it says there in verse 3, it talks about some things that I believe that teach us how a woman should be treated. How a wife should be respected. And as men, we need to understand that God has plans for us in what we do and responsibilities that we should live up to in living this life. And so when we look at that first verse, or that one verse there, verse 3, it says, but he, and he bought her. It says, but the poor man had nothing save one ewe lamb which he had bought. A ewe was something that was about a year old. And this, in this particular case, a female. But look at what it said, it, he bought her. Now some might get offended by that term because we don't go out and buy a wife, so to speak. But the Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18 that we are to flee fornication. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, it tells us, not, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a, woman, or for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. And so Paul is telling us here that fornication is a reality in this world. And He wants us as Christians to avoid that. And so in order to avoid that, God has made provisions so every man could have a wife and every wife could have a husband. And the Scripture goes on to elaborate about the responsibilities that each has. We might remember that in David's day, there would be a dowry that would be paid, especially if the woman was a virgin. And certainly as a man, a Christian man, we would want a virgin for a wife. And you say, well, we can't buy that today. But we court our wives before we marry them. And then at the right time, we propose. We give a ring. And then on that wedding ceremony, wings are, or rings are usually exchanged to show that the, that commitment has been made. So in a sense, we have bought uh, that, 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 that person to show that we are concerned and we love and we want to have that relationship and the second point we see in that verse, it says, But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished up. It is the responsibility of a husband to provide lifelong care for his wife. That doesn't mean that she's a second class citizen. It doesn't mean that she's an invalid. It means that we are responsible for that home. And that we are to love and to cherish that responsibility or the, the relationship that we have. And we are to help her to grow. And we help her to grow physically, spiritually, mentally. All of the, the aspects of our lives, we grow together. And that's what we are to do. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, we see also that the husband has a responsibility to provide for his family. And it starts with his wife when they become one flesh. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, and verse 8, the Bible says, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. And so we need to realize that as husbands, we have a responsibility. 
And so from this simple verse that we see in this parable that Nathan has given to David, we see that there are responsibilities. We bought, we, we pay the price, we nourish her, but then he goes on and he says, But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought, which he had nourished up, and it grew up together with him. And so it, he got to know her. And as they grew together, they went through the different phases of life. I ask you this morning, when you married your spouse, when you married your wife, what did you marry her for? Did you marry her because you needed a second income so you could buy all the toys that you wanted? So that you could afford a house or property or what is it? Was that the reason that you got married? Or is it that you married her because you wanted to be partners for life? That you wanted to help each other. As we see in, a, in, the, in the garden when God created Adam and Eve, He realized that Adam needed to help meet. And so He created Eve, a woman, so that He could have that help meet. And so they grew together. And that's what our responsibility is as husbands. That when we take on that responsibility of a wife, it's not just for a short period of time. Although death may come into our lives and, 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 and that relationship ends... But as we grow together, as we grow up and we mature and we age, we're there to help each other, to grow together. Because there's going to be challenges in life. And we have to live through those challenges. And we help each other. And sometimes we can go back and we can look at those things and, and realize how we have grown together as a husband and a wife. And we grow together through the different phases of life. You may get married when you're young, and that's a wonderful time of, in our lives. But we also realize that you're going to reach middle age. And sometimes there's some challenges there that we have to face that we didn't have when we were young. And then we reach that phase of old, life, old, old age where there are some challenges. But together we work through those things and we help each other and we encourage each other. And that's one of the things that we can see in this passage of Scripture. He's talking about a sheep, but I believe that he's disguised it in a way so David doesn't jump to some conclusion to begin with and listens to what Nathan has to say. Because you can see there that he's talking about Bathsheba and Uriah's relationship with her. You don't get to know someone in the backseat of a car. You get to know them by growing up together, growing together. You laugh at some of the things as you look back over your life, and there are times that you look back and you cry. It's a challenge in life, but I can't think of a better person to go through all those things with than your wife. And we can see that he gave her dignity and respect. Because it goes on in that passage of Scripture which says, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. The number one rule in the house ought to be, children, obey the law of your mother. And each father should make sure that that's enforced. That if mom is telling the children to do something that is right, then the dad needs to be there to enforce and make her back her up. 
He shows her the dignity that she deserves and the respect that she needs. You see, women desire and deserve dignity and respect. And a husband needs to give that dignity and respect, not only by telling the children, you need to obey your mother, but by showing her respect himself. By not talking down to her or making fun of her or ridiculing her. You see, dignity is that state of being worth, worthy, honored, and esteemed. Respect is a high or special regard or esteem. The quality, a state of being esteemed. So you put her, you, you might not like the term, but on that pedestal. Because she's someone that's special in your life. And when we stop realizing that is when there starts to be problems in that marriage. Listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of the husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. You see how that relationship works? He realizes that she's something of great value in his life. She also realizes that he's something special in her life. And she's not tearing him down before the kids or the family or someone else. She's not running home to talk to mom and dad about how awful so-and-so is. She does him good and not evil. They work together to make that home what it is. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, Likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Remember those words that you said in those ceremonies? Most ceremonies have those words in it. To love, honor, and to cherish. How long until death do you part? We talked about some of those things a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the marriage covenant. And so you realize that what you have is something special. I would imagine that a, love, a lot of husbands look at their wives and say, how did, I, how, how did I get something so special like this? Why would she ever be attracted to me? Why would she ever like me? But she did. Because you're special and she's special. And that's what we need to understand. That we love, honor, and cherish. And when we cherish something, we take special care for of it. We don't beat it around and, and, and abuse it. We take care of it. Because we realize it's something that is precious. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, Paul tells us, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. Sometimes I've gone to visit people that have fallen away from the church because they're upset about something, and I'll ask them, has the Lord ever done anything to you to hurt you? And the answer so far has always been, no, the Lord has not done anything. So then I say, why do you take it out on Him? We know that the Lord looks at the church as something that's special. It's been bought with His blood. And so He's done everything that He could do so that we could get to heaven. And isn't that what we're supposed to be doing with our spouses? Everything that we can do 
to get to heaven together. He goes on in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And then in verse 28, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. For he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. You listen to those passages of Scripture and then go back to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Do you see that love in David with Bathsheba? You can see that love in chapter 12 in the story that Nathan told. But David saw and he wanted and he took it. Uriah, I would imagine, did everything that he was supposed to do because you can see what kind of per uh, person that he was and how he reacted when he was called back from the battle and David tried to get him to go home and cover up the sin by have, having uh, you know, relations with his wife. But he wouldn't go home because the battle was still taking place. And so he wasn't going to enjoy the comforts himself that those out there on the battlefield weren't able to enjoy. We also see in that passage of Scripture that the two of them had become inseparable. It says in verse 3, But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb which he had bought, nourished up, and it grew up together with him and his children and did eat his own meat and drank of his own cup. Wherever you saw that lamb, it seems that you saw that poor man. They were side by side. A husband and wife should be inseparable. That doesn't mean that they always have to go to the exact same place at the exact same time but when you think of one, you automatically think of the other. You got people in your life that's that like that? When you think of so-and-so, you think of his wife or her, her husband, they just go together. And I can name people over the course of, of my lifetime that that's the way we looked at them. When you saw one, you saw the other. Because they were close. They were inseparable. And brethren, that's what God wants us to be as a husband and wife. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 23 and 24, it says, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. You know what? David was ashamed of Bathsheba because he tried to cover his sin. Brother, we shouldn't do things that we're ashamed of or we're embarrassed of. And that's exactly what David had done. He didn't want anybody to know about it. And by the way, David had ample warning about that this was a married woman that you're, you're dealing with. But David ignored all the things that 
should have been red flags to him. And he took her. A rich man. Because he saw, he wanted, and he took. This poor man, he cherished his wife. Because the Scripture goes on, and he grew up together with him and with his children and did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup and lay in his bosom. Contrast that with David's lustful affair with Bathsheba. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 2 through 3, or 2 through 4, it says, And it came to pass in an evening tide that David rose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired of the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. Is there anything beautiful in that story? No. A rich man saw a trophy, and he took it. The poor man had this lamb that lay in his bosom. It may have been all that he had, but he cherished that relationship. We see that he protected her. In verse 3, it goes on to say, And he did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. You know, there's something about us dads that we always seek to protect our daughters. We don't want to see them taken advantage of. We don't want to see them abused. We want to see them prosper and do good. How do you think Uriah would have reacted if he had known the truth of what David had done to his wife? A poor man who loved his wife, who had gone into battle, was fighting for the king, who had taken his wife while he's out on the battlefield. He was loyal to Joab and to David. Unfortunately, David was not loyal to him. Bathsheba should have been hands off he should have been out in battle with his soldiers. But that's what happens when we don't do what we're supposed to be doing. We get ourselves into trouble. And that's exactly what happened with David. And so this episode in David's life ends with both good news and some bad news. The bad news is in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 7, where Nathan says to David, Thou art the man. Can you imagine the courage that it took for Nathan to say those words? Because he had painted a beautiful picture. David became angry because he could see it when it was a, a, a little lamb, but he didn't think about what he had done 
with another man's wife. The bad news was in verse 10, And now therefore the sword shall never depart from thy house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Think about that. It's always referred to in many cases. Bathsheba, when it's talking about Bathsheba, it's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. God wants him to realize that. What he had done. Verse 11, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will rise, raise up evil against thee out of thy own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbors. And he shall lie with, them, lie with thy wives in the sight of this son, for thou didst it secretly, but I will do these things before all of Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sins, uh, thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast done great occasion to the enemies, to the Lord, to blaspheme, the, king, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 that the wages of sin is death. That's the price we pay when we choose to violate God's law. When we go about doing what we want to do as opposed to what God wants us to do, there's wages, there's a price that's going to be paid. And in David's case, he reaped what he had sowed. And if you look at what he had pronounced upon this individual when he thought it was a sheep, you see that's exactly what happened in his house. But that could be another lesson of what he went through because of the sin that he committed. You see, sometimes in life, we can be forgiven, but there's still consequences that we have to suffer for what we do. And sometimes when we get this family relationship out of order, or we have children before we become a husband or wife, there can be challenges and there can be difficulties that we face for a lifetime. You may not like to hear that. But when we do things God's way, it always works out for the best. There may be challenges here on this life. People may not like what we're doing, may not like what we're saying. But if the Lord is pleased, then we can be thankful for that. And so the good news in, in this event is that God put away His sin. So let me ask you a question this morning. As a husband, how do you treat your wife? Do you treat her with the dignity and the respect that she deserves? It is possible to learn from our mistakes because sometimes husbands don't do what they're supposed to do. In David's case, we can find in verse 24 that he went in and he comforted Bathsheba. I don't know if that was immediately, a few days later, a week later, a month later, but he comforted Bathsheba and she had another child. 
the conclusion that we need to understand is the rich man in this story was actually the poor man. And the poor man in the story, which was Uriah, was actually the rich man because of what he had that was taken from him. Do we look at life the way we're supposed to look at life? Realizing the things that God wants in our lives is what makes us rich. And when we have everything, Jesus said we can have the whole world, but if we don't have Christ, we're poor. And so I ask you this morning, is Christ in your life? Is He in your marriage? Is He in your home? Is He something that you honor and respect? Is it something that you follow and practice in your life, what the Bible teaches? Are you the kind of husband that He wants you to be, the kind of wife that you're supposed to be, and the kind of children that God wants you to be? Because when we are what we're supposed to be, our homes will be a little bit of heaven here on this earth. So let's all strive to make our homes what God wants it to be. And from a simple parable, I think we can learn a great deal about how a man should treat his wife. So this morning, if you're not a Christian, we would encourage you to become a child of God today. Because we have no promise of tomorrow, all we have is this very moment. And so if you're not a Christian, Jesus tells us what we need to do in order to be saved. We have to believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him, as it tells us in Hebrews 11 and verse 6. We must turn away from our sin, like He tells us in Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5. I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. We have to confess His name before men, as He tells us in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32. And then we need to be buried with Him in water to have our sins washed away. As He tells us in Mark chapter 16, 15 and 16, when He said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. To every creature, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. You don't want to be in that category of those that are damned. You want to be in that group that's saved. And so we see on the day of Pentecost that they were baptized. We see the Ethiopian eunuch. He was baptized. Lydia, baptized. Jailer, baptized. All of them baptized. Why? Because it's essential to our salvation. And it represents the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. So this morning, if you would like to become a child of God, we're here to help you and assist you in any way that we can. If you'd like to study, we'll sit down and study with you. And maybe you are a Christian and you haven't lived as you should. We want you to come back and do what's right. And if that's between you and God, then you can take care of that problem between you and God. But if you need our help and encouragement, we're here to help you. And so this morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, please do so while we stand and sing.